Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that is your weekly guilty pleasure. You are joined as always by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. My name is just Bess. Yeah. <laughs> you sound a bit husky this morning. I think I just haven't coughed and I'm not going to cough into the microphone <laughs> so it's just going to be like this forever. Coming up on today's episode, the messy fall of Asia Argento, the crazy racism row erupting between YouTube's biggest beauty influencers and the Australian male celebrities who are beginning to understand what it feels like to be a woman in the public eye. But first, Michelle, as always, how was your week? It was a good week. I was so high-pitched. Though. It was a really good week. I feel like the weather was really good. Um... <laughs> At what point was the weather good? Yesterday. Yeah, that's all I can really remember. I'm quite a um, short-term memory kind of gal. Uh, I played with my friend's dog. My friend Maddie recently got a puppy, Dalmatian. How much is she paying you for this? A lot. No, she she got this puppy and it's 14 weeks old and it's already bigger than I am, basically. It's like the biggest Dalmatian you'll ever see in your life. So I spent all of last night playing with Ziggy. and That's such a dog name. You should see my boyfriend, Mitch, is so obsessed with this dog. It's a little bit weird. I didn't think that I liked Dalmatians until I saw photos of this little thing. It's cute, right? You can tell I'm not a dog person or an animal person. Every time I see him, I put him up on my Insta story simply because I know people are going to message me and ask if it's my dog. And I'd like them to think that just for a little bit. There are a few things that get you like prolific Instagram messages after you upload. One would be like probably a bikini photo on Instagram <laughs> stories because the world sucks. And the second would be a dog photo. Yeah, it's like massive Instacred. Yeah, it's As funny. soon as Ziggy's up on there, I feel really popular. Everyone's messaging me. Even though it's not about you or your dog, but that's fine. Ziggy makes me relevant. Yeah, well. <laughs> what about you? How was your week? Um, my week was fine. I quite irresponsibly took my nose out of the celebrity news cycle and put it back into the oh. political news cycle. Oh, how dare you? I know, right? Who is the prime uh, minister right now? So unnecessary. Yeah, I know, Scott Morrison, which is a little gross. Um, so that, to be honest, I've been so distracted this week by that and I felt so exhausted at the end of each workday. Not because I was doing any reporting on it, but because I was <laughs> my scanning Twitter all day, every day. It got to the point where I was like, there's no point me going onto any homepages at the moment of The Age or the ABC yeah. because nothing is, is uploading as fast as it needs to. So Twitter was where I was at for 
the majority of the week. Oh, you're such a political expert. Not even. I don't know what it is. I think it's the drama. I think that's what it is because I can't, I'm not getting that drama from anything but Survivor at the moment. <laughs> How did you feel about it all though? Because I felt really frustrated and really upset with the political stuff going on. I felt very confused, like okay. genuinely very confused as to how a whole heap of really smart people can't gauge the electorate and how they can't actually get their heads out of their ass and realise that nobody actually wants this. That's I what I was really confused about. It's like you're meant to be smart. How can you not read the room a little better? I think that it might simple. be a case of high IQ, low EQ. They just cannot read the room. They can't read what the mood Which is. Which is crazy because it's not like this happens in, in other countries as much. I think no. Japan is the only one that it's happened as much in. So it's not like it's it's a common you know characteristic for politicians across the world to have their heads so far stuck up their own ass. Just that. another Wednesday. Going to call a saying, spill. Right, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> so that was my week, to be yeah. honest. Um, Can I just have one little point before we move on from the politics course, side always. of things? In my head, Malcolm Turnbull was the most desirable slash popular thing about the Liberal Party. He was leading, you, he was leading the preferred for, PM. For a left, left-leaning um, greenie. <laughs> Give me a sec. Of course, I agree. He was leading the preferred PM poll over Bill Shorten yes. by 19% when this all went down. He was by far. Yeah, but they weren't the preferred party. So, but, so who cares? I they're know. still now they've well, got a shit party with a shit leader. I, no, no, no. I don't think you understand. It's all stupid. <laughs> <laughs> None of this has ended in a way where it's been good. Tony um, Abbott must feel so shocking right now, and I hope he does because he's just the little mastermind, the little puppeteer. The, the Batuta Advocate really shone this week. They did some brilliant, better reporting than most news outlets about. Most weeks they do that. There was one about Tony Abbott needing to be taken to a nursing home now. It's like <laughs> too many, too much rogue. <laughs> Take him away. <laughs> Anyway, first on the agenda, which is a little more serious, I think, than probably the political scandal. Probably this entire podcast combined, yeah. Yeah, so Asia Argento made the news again. Asia is obviously the girlfriend of the late Anthony Bourdain, who was the forefront of the Me Too movement when the Harvey Weinstein allegations came up. And so she gave a really powerful speech only a couple of months ago. Do you remember where that speech was? It was at Cannes Film yeah, Festival. Yeah, I think so. And she, again, is talking about women in Hollywood and, and sexual assault and Me Too, and she did become the face of the movement, and suddenly she's become Victim and perpetrator of, all at once. of sexual assault herself. How mm. did you feel as you saw this story unfolding? Uh Stunned. I think mostly stunned because I was surprised that someone with this kind of skeleton in their closet would uh, put herself on that stage and open herself up yeah. to this kind of downfall. Uh, I was just really surprised that she would do that. We should talk about the boy uh, who has accused her of sexual assault. His name is Jimmy Bennett. He's a child actor. He's now 22 and he's trying to make it as a musician, but he is saying that when he was 17, just turned 17, Asia sexually assaulted him when he was in a room in California with her. Which is technically statutory rape because he was 17 and she was 30-something. And he's not technically, he's not legally allowed to give consent or able to give consent. No, not at all. And I think what's really interesting here is when we talk about statutory rape, I think there's a real sense that there are levels of seriousness regarding rape and statutory rape is potentially, um, quote-unquote, less serious than the others. But I think what's really important in this case to note is that Jimmy Bennett and Asia Argento know each other because he played her son in a movie years ago when he was six or seven years old. Mm. So she has known him when he's six or seven years old and has always kind of been a mothery mentor figure. And suddenly, ten years after that, they're in this mess. And I think for me, 
not that I've ever considered statutory rape less serious, but I think for those that may have unconscious bias towards it, that's a really important thing to think about. Yeah, that this woman was having a relationship with him on some level since he was six or seven and eventually that turned sexual. It does give an insight into, I'm not saying she groomed him, I don't know enough about the situation. It's obviously only coming out now. However, it does open itself up to some murky shit because she has known him for years. She's known him for over a decade. So... I don't know, it sounds like a very, very unusual dynamic between the two of them. And she looked really, really badly when she originally came out and gave a statement that they had never had sex before. They'd never been in a sexual relationship. And hours after her text messages were leaked where she said to a friend, I had sex with him. It felt weird. I didn't know he was a minor until the shakedown letter. The public know nothing, only what the New York Times wrote. The horny kid jumped me. So she's saying to us, I've never had sex with him. And hours later, it's revealed, actually, you've sent these text messages to your friend saying that you did. That for me, I think was probably the most troubling part because for someone who's been at the forefront of the Me Too movement for so long, and I think what punctuated the Me Too movement, it's particularly the Hollywood one we're fixating on at the moment, is the the idea that a lot of abusers gaslight their victims so when victims do come forward or survivors come forward and uh, the perpetrators like Harvey Weinstein just call them liars you're a liar this never happened and suddenly that is the, the one thing that makes any survivor feel crazy and I think when we talk about me too that's a huge part of the conversation in trying to make survivors feel empowered to want to come forward and tell their story mm. and she just did the opposite she she completely gaslighted him she lied publicly about it and I, there was a great piece in Vox this week did you read no about it it was from Anna North for Vox and she spoke she spoke, she wrote, sorry, about why lying about it was one of the most damaging things that Asia Argento could have done in this case because she said by casting doubt on his previous lawsuit, which is what Asia Argento did, she sort of brought in a previous lawsuit that Jimmy Bennett had lodged against his parents and painting him as a destitute and dangerous scammer without any acknowledgement of the way her words might affect others who come forward about sexual misconduct, Argento does a disservice to the movement she has championed. Notably, her statement lacks any discussion of this movement or of the lessons she has learned through her advocacy. It's as though Bennett, she doesn't see Bennett as part of Me Too at all. Which is when you said at the start, it's weird that someone with skeletons in their closet would not, would come forward and be so public about Me mm. Too. It is kind of more telling that perhaps she doesn't see him in the same category is her which is sad because i don't think me too is just about women at all it's about women and men Not men can all. be victims of sexual assault just as much as women can be so yeah i can't even begin to explain how monumental this fuck up on her behalf is i think the other side to this is that if she's saying oh i didn't know he was a minor I'm sorry, that is your responsibility. You've known this kid since he was little. You would have known that it was at least a grey area. It is your responsibility to make sure you have consent and make sure the person you're sleeping with can give you consent and it's legal. And that is no excuse to say I don't know how old he is. That's just ridiculous. We need to be really uh, clear that once you're in the bedroom, you are responsible for your actions and it is your responsibility to say no and to find out the information necessary. He's clearly a teenager. That should have been a question that she should have asked immediately. I agree. I just think for for me it's and it's a huge turning point not just for Hollywood but for everybody in that we need to all rethink our own biases now and that Me Too might have started by empowering women but it's actually not about women anymore. It's about 
everyone who might be finding themselves in a position like Jimmy Bennett and Asia Argento in both cases. So I think that's the most important thing we can possibly take from this. Yeah, and we really need to recalibrate that a 17-year-old boy doesn't necessarily want to have sex with a 37-year-old woman. There's so much grey there and I think we really need to retrace our steps and go back (laughs) about a kilometre and think, you know what, just because he's a 17-year-old boy it doesn't mean he wanted this. It doesn't mean he even knew what he was consenting to. And we need to view women like Asia Argento as just as dangerous as male perpetrators. Agreed. time for the quick and dirty you guys know the drill every week we bring you the top five celebrity news stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle zara it is your turn this week I am ready to go. My first story on my list is one of my favourites from the week. Married at First Sight's Sarah Rosa on freezing her eggs. That is from Who magazine. Did you see this story around? I saw her Instagram post. I think someone put the Instagram post in our Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip. And there was a bit of back and forth about what a feminist moment it was. I have not seen anything since then. So her Instagram post was very subtle and a bit vague, but it was basically a photo of embryos maybe. And yeah, like an embryo being injected. And then she's like so something. excited for the next phase of my life. So Doctors probably just heard what I said and cringed. Yeah, and it- <laughs> I'm sorry if that was wrong. It looked like an egg with a needle in it. Yeah, something of the sort. And that gets you pregnant. That's not the traditional sense. We need to get out of this. Not a penis. This is how we need to get out of this whole fast. Anyway, all of the headlines picked up all of it. A lot of tabloid news outlets picked up the story and said Sarah from Married at First Sight is pregnant. She didn't correct the record for until maybe a week later when she said, oh, no, I'm actually not pregnant. I'm just freezing my eggs. By the way, here's the company that I'm freezing my eggs with. They're great. Oh, get Oh, my God. Okay. She duped us all, which I think is so funny. That's her own fault because our news cycle is so dependent on... Married at first sight stars? Exactly. And Instagram and little information. That's our own fault for not actually digging deeper. My absolute pet hate is seeing an article, clicking into an article and all the writer has done. And I've been guilty of this in the past. I'm sure years ago there would have been articles like this that... The journalist has clicked into an Instagram post and written 300 words on something that I could just go to my Instagram feed and get every skerrick of information that that journalist got just by looking at an Instagram post. Yeah, unless they actually asked her for comment and she was vague again. There's no excuse for the stupidity that just unfolded because then we just gave gave her so much free publicity for that random company, egg company that she's getting paid for. Egg company. <laughs> so, is that the official term? Egg company. Yeah, it actually is. I think it's called Egg Company 101. <laughs> um, number two, Ben Affleck to enter rehab after intervention by ex-wife Jennifer Garner from News.com. She is kick ass. Oh, what an... I just... The photos from this, I think they're zoomed in pap photos of them in the car. There's a great one that someone also put in our Facebook group where she's in the car and he's in the back seat and she's just got this burger and she's not looking at him. She's kind of passing him the burger as if he's a four-year-old child in the back and it's just like, eat your food and shut up, which is a brilliant photo. You liked that one. Oh my God, I absolutely adored it. I think we we spoke, we did a whole segment on Jennifer Garner and how much we love her. It would have been early days of the podcast, first month or so of doing the podcast. She is epic. I think she is a feminist warrior. I love her. Everything she does, I just... I feel the sudden urge to clap. She, I, I mean, we've epic. got a very positive spin on this, but it's pretty shit that 
I mean, m- mental illness and addiction is is pretty sad, and it's kind of hard that that even though they're not together, she's the one that's always pulled through and has to pull him out of his holes. How much strength does that speak to, though? Yeah. But to be able to have your ex husband who has cheated on you and dragged you and many girlfriends so, since so then. much and Playboy mansion models yeah. and. Uh, yeah everything under the sun and for her to still be there and be like you know what this is the father of my children and he can't get his shit together but I'm going to help him no matter what he's going through something really dark and he's been in rehab twice before first in 2001 second in 2017 if my dates are correct and he's battling alcoholism and she is just getting through it she's one of those women where nothing you know when you look at someone you're like how are you doing this when you look at a woman you're like how she can seems, you be so strong for yeah all this? it's she seems very together for something that would uh, kind of make you unravel after a few times yeah well he cheated on with the nanny he was not a good husband to her and yet she continually has his back and looks out for him yes well that's number two number three the bachelor's Casswood responds to hurtful stage five clinger comments from marie claire um, I'll give a recap on this story before we say anything else. Basically, she, it was a very, very small quote. I don't think she can say too much about Channel 10. We really need to keep that in mind. When people are like, Cass Wood needs to share a story or Cass Wood needs to come out and be honest and slam Channel 10 for what they're doing to her, she contractually cannot. In the past, when things have happened to Bachelor contestants, Zara and I ourselves have tried to reach out to these girls and get them to speak to us about what's going on on the show and how they're being depicted. And they cannot contractually speak to anyone else until their time on the show is over. And even then, it's a few weeks after they leave. I think leave. it's even months. Mm. I think there's, it, it depends on what they want to say. And I think if they actually want to go rogue, it's months and months until after the show's finished. And then nobody cares. Yeah, by that time, it's died down. So her comments were basically saying it was hurtful to see this stuff around. And obviously every news publication, as we said last week, is running with the narrative that Cass Wood is a clinger and a crazy ex and a stalker. And she, in my mind, has partly played into that role like a dream, but a lot of this has been the producers always zooming in on her eyes and and using the camera to dart back and forth between Cass to create this look that she is uh, flappable and a bit crazy and in your face. I I sense that, I don't know, I'm quite harsh on The Bachelor this year. I'm pretty over it, I have to say. I don't think I've ever sensed that people are as over the editing process as they are this year. I think people are really disappointed and can see how transparent the editing is with Cass Wood. I think you can say, yeah, well, she has to play some part in it, but I'm just so over the show that I actually think all it is is a young, innocent girl who really likes a guy who's been really played here. I have found it interesting that on her Instagram posts that they're very sanitized of all hate, which I think is really good. I'm hoping that either someone from the network, I mean, I'm not going to give them too many props because they've put her partially in this position, but a friend or a loved one must be going through that um, feed and deleting any comments of hate because it's very sanitized and it's very positive in there, which I think is a really good move while she's going through all of this. That is really smart. To not have hate bombard her channels, I think is really clever. So whoever's looking at that is doing a really good job. Number four, another Bachelor story, but this is quite a funny one. Bachelor <laughs> front runner. And by the way, if you actually don't want Bachelor spoilers, because I'm pretty sure this is a pretty serious one, skip ahead about... 
a minute. Yeah, a minute and a half. We'll say the name at the very beginning. Skip forward a minute and you won't know who we're talking about. Okay, Bachelor Frontrunner is all but confirmed winner of reality show as it's revealed Nick Common's family are Facebook friends with her and her sister and his sister, sorry, wishes her a happy birthday. Obviously from the Daily Mail because it was about four sentences long. And obviously talking about Brit. Yeah, now I'm not going to use her name. Yes, we won't use her name from their point, that point forward. They're the ones who grew up in the same town. That's all you need to know. That's all the identifying factors we're going to give. Done. So Facebook friends... Yes. She is with his family. She also, those hilarious screenshots from the Daily Mail as well when it was her birthday and Nick's sister posted on her wall saying happy birthday. It just seems a bit silly. Can you imagine the new, the Daily Mail newsroom when they found that? Some oh. journalists would have been like, this is the pinnacle of my entire someone career at have, Daily Mail. Someone must have sent it to them, like one of her Facebook friends or something and must have know. leaked it because uh, her... Oh, actually, no, maybe her profile wasn't as private as it could have been before the show and they jumped on it. The only other possibility is that she's actually friends with his family in some way, but I would highly doubt that they the runner-up or someone who lost The Bachelor would be friends with The Bachelor's family on Facebook. Just so absurd. Channel 10 cannot hold this together every single year. There's always a spoiler and it's always from the Daily Mail. Oh, I know. Next, it's going to be pat photos of them together and it's ruined. Would you be happy with her winning? Um, I mean, I'm heavily invested in this year's batch. I You're not so much. I, I cannot get over how over it I am. I don't <laughs> think that he's with her. I'm hearing terrible, terrible rumours about what he's been getting up to um, since the show from so many different people that it's kind of alarming. Can't hold a man down. No, apparently not. He's not like the anti-monogamous guy. from what I'm hearing. Yeah, so am I. So I'm just going to not put all my eggs in this basket and I don't actually care if it's <laughs> that's what I think number five so insanely idiotic it borders on brilliant viewers praise trial by Kyle I didn't watch this show I'm not gonna lie however I did read a recap of it which did was you not pretty catch darn funny no I couldn't be bothered I know that Sky Wheatley from Big Brother was so, on it yeah she was so I was watching The Bachelor and I think this must have come straight after The Bachelor and I found myself sitting in front of it, and this is how much I definitely couldn't work in TV because my sense of what people want is clearly so skewed because I watched it and I see Sky Whitley coming in and I'm thinking, this show is a joke. Nobody is going to like this. This is the laughing stock of like <laughs> of the whole pilot week, in fact, the whole year. I watch it for about five minutes before I shake my head, tut, tut, and turn it off. Next thing I know, I wake up. Ratings were brilliant. People loved it. Trash television at its best. Yep. I thought I knew trash television. Apparently, I don't. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, apparently that was the appeal of it. I just love that they spent so long trying to rectify Sky Wheatley's double bubble boob job. Yeah, the bubble was pretty bad. <laughs> was it? Yeah. And Anna Heinrich's on there. That's the thing that yeah. upsets me. Anna Heinrich is so classy and beautiful and articulate. And for her to be on trial by Kyle is a bit of a... It is an interesting, interesting move. Interesting move. Definitely interesting move. I think it speaks to how much Anna and Tim, to be honest, are desperate for TV careers because he has just moved into Neighbours. She must really just want to get into TV. And a funny move for someone who has made a pretty credible career as a criminal lawyer. Mm, and a little aside to all this, they're living – so they just got married, right? We mm. covered their wedding a few episodes ago. But 
they're living in separate cities so that they can pursue these TV well, careers. Well, I think he's flying back and forth a lot. On the weekends. Yeah. So they're but physically living yeah. in separate places. So Tim's living in Melbourne, obviously, for Neighbours, and Anna's living in Sydney for Trial by Colour. I just think it's really interesting that they're so dedicated to this career path that they're willing to live in separate cities for it when they're just newlyweds. Also, just before we move on, because I agree with that, but and good on them for that kind of drive. An interesting move for someone like Anna aligning herself with someone like Kyle Sanderlands because I have only been thinking about how much he'd have to pay me to align myself with Kyle Sanderlands and it would have to be a huge figure to in oh, order. See, I don't know. I think it does a, it does a strange thing to her brand and I don't think anybody can deny that. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. It does tarnish her brand in some way and it depends on, again, your definition of tarnish, but it sort of makes it a little less highbrow quote-unquote of course but once you think of the fact that she's aligning herself with the biggest powerhouse in the radio industry in australia yes he's trashy and yes he's a shock jock but it's not entirely stupid she by comparison can come across as quite intelligent and quite yes potentially i have no doubt that she's not she's thought this through a lot i just my initial reaction was being tired of bachelor contestants just coming out of the show and sitting on the fence and never saying anything about anything Mm. Anyway, that's... <laughs> that, <laughs> Do you feel okay? You're yeah, right. fine. That's me done. That is the quick and dirty. Thank you, Zara McDonald. Since this men's health cover, Audrey gives me shit about it because she busts me every night. I brush my teeth with my shirt off looking in the mirror. Like that old Oral-B ad, but face, <laughs> face on, right? Because every night I stand there and go, this is what my body looks like now. This is, okay, where there was love handles, there's now obliques. Where there was, you know, nothing, there's now muscle. Where there was... You know, your, your 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 love handles are no longer the widest point on your body. Now your lats are. Just keep that brain, keep that in your mind, keep that in mind. So every night I have to reframe that. But yeah, it's something I've dealt with my, my whole life. You just heard Osher Gunsberg speaking on the No Filter podcast about his mission to get on the cover of Men's Health with the most ripped body possible. The Bachelor host quest began after the Daily Mail published photos of his and I quote, Bali belly, as he changed into a swimsuit in Indonesia in 2016. While Osher did interviews about his new abs all week, speculation hit the tabloids that today's show host, Karl Stefanovic, has dyed his grey away and gotten hair plugs. Zara, do you think men in the public eye are now being judged for their appearance more than ever? I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I think that comes with how much time we're spending online, how much more of themselves people are putting out there on social media how tabloid culture is in Australia probably stronger than ever with the Daily Mail pumping out 630,000 articles a day they're still going on Tammy Hembrow by the way are they (laughs) yeah every day amazing um so I think yeah I think you're right I think that that there's a lot of factors at play but I think that there are many instances where it's not just women who we are trying to catch out in uncompromising aesthetic situations which Absolutely is a strange not. situation I mean, say a strange sentence sorry but men too I think that that paparazzi will go to a certain length to find really unflattering photos of anyone these days because people click on that mm. the narrative about Karl Stepanovic has been really interesting obviously he's preparing for his wedding and I will read out the headline that the Daily Mail run with before I speak about it New do for the big day. Today's Karl Stefanovic displays noticeably thicker and darker hair overnight ahead of his wedding to Jasmine Yabra. I find this 
scintillating that we're looking at the pre-wedding prep for a man so closely and we're looking at his weight and we're looking at whether his hair is getting thicker or thinner and whether it's grayer or darker and for Carl to be put under this type of scrutiny is really fascinating considering that it was only probably oh, it would have been less than 10 years ago that he wore the same suit every day on today's show trying to see if tabloids would pick that up as opposed to Lisa Wilkinson uh, always getting harshly critiqued for what she was wearing every single day. And I think it's slowly starting to change. I mean, he probably, when he did that story and he wore the same suit every day for a year, he probably thought eventually women will just stop being judged for their bodies and their appearance. Now men are just starting to catch up to women in how much they're being judged for everything aesthetic. It reminds me of when Craig Hutchinson was on the footy show back in the day for those who aren't listening from Melbourne Craig Hutchinson is an AFL journalist um he was on the AFL footy show for about a year before he was sacked and after he was sacked and he was replaced with Eddie Maguire he said I think that he said that there was probably a couple of reasons why he was sacked but one of them he said I think there's a reasonable expectation that if you're going to host a television show you're in good nick to do it and that you're visually appealing to the audience the weird part about it is that I actually lost 16 kilos, but I'm still overweight. So I think he looked back in that that sacking in hindsight in the weeks and months after and said, I don't think that visually I was as appealing as I could have been. And therefore that led, that was one of many factors to my sacking. At the same time, he as he was replaced by Eddie Maguire, the Herald Sun read an article at exactly the same time saying it will be a slim and trim Maguire who makes a triumphant return as co-host of the AFL footy show. Now, firstly, imagine if these roles are reversed, if this is how we were talking about women. But secondly, this fixation on weight in, in the TV industry is is probably not new. I know that aesthetics are always important, but we always look at, remember those, those age-old conversations we have about newsreaders and how a 70-year-old mildly overweight newsreader that's a male will last on TV forever, but the minute you're over the age of 35 and a size 10, you're out mm. as a woman. But I think this did change the narrative a little bit. I am in a couple of minds about this now. Tell me how you feel or you felt about that in particular too. Well, just another aside to that Eddie Maguire snippet that you gave us. At the same time, his, this was another headline that ran. I can't remember what this was in, but it was called Radical Diet Sees Eddie Maguire Lose 15 Kilos in Three Weeks. So basically he existed on a diet of herbal tea and half a cucumber a day. So I actually want to go out on a limb and say I don't think – the weight, the way, the way we look at weight on television stars is gendered. I think we're just as much looking at men and how much weight they're putting on. Age is different. I think when women age, as you said before, it's considered differently, which is disgusting. And that's why Botox is so popular. But weight is very, very widespread, the discussion about men and men's health being correlated with the size of their waist. Well, I don't think fat phobia is gendered. I think that if you are fat phobic, which I think the TV industry at large probably is, I don't think it's going to matter whether you're a man or a woman for those sort of biases to come into play. I have to say I've come a long way in my thoughts about this because I agree with you in a sense that that the, we're picking up on what men look like and they're sort of being slowly dragged down to our level which at face value is true. Nowhere near do they face the amount of scrutiny that women do, but they are slowly seeing more of it. I think what we need to note is the implications about that. And I know that sounds very vague, but I think 
men can be objectified and we can take photos of Osher Gunsberg with Bali belly and in Bali in an unflattering way. And that can be really damaging to him. That can be. And he said it was and he took them the, the paps to the press council and won. However, what happens to Osher Gunsberg after that is is probably not as damaging as what would happen to a woman. Why? Because we let men play any character they want to play. If they're not hot, that's okay because there are other characters they can play. If Hang a woman on, but you just not- spoke about... You just spoke about a man losing his job because he felt like he was too fat for the yeah, job. Yeah, of course. But there are so many more things at play. Craig Hutchinson can still play another character in the public eye. We have fallbacks for men that don't fit the ideal man. We don't have fallbacks for women that don't have the ide- that don't play the ideal woman. Do you see the difference? No, I do, give me so, an example. Okay. okay, I think a woman. Okay, if a woman is not hot, there's probably only one character we let them play in the public eye, and that's the the overweight funny woman, the self deprecating funny woman, as Hannah Gadsby talked about in the net. That there's only only so many characters a woman can play if she's not hot. There's only so much room we have for them. If a man is not really good looking, we still let him in the public eye. There is just a million more things he can do. It's not the be all and end all. For a woman, it's the end game. For a man, it's not. So as much as we're pulling them down to our level, the implications aren't as important. It's not like they're going to lose their jobs or not find work later because subconsciously we will find them work. With women, there's only a couple of roles that they can play if they're not the ideal woman. Mm. Do you see that? I'm not sure if I, I don't want to go into specifics about each woman and pull out women from the public eye because oh, I think that's, that's really smart. critical. No, I'm not sure I agree with you. I just, I'm not sure I agree with you. I don't think, they possibly, they're not, I think it's not we laced overplay. with the same historical significance is that when we objectify a woman, there are so many other ideas that come into play about how we're never good enough, about how we are. And I know you can say that about men, but there is more than one ideal man. There is kind of only one ideal woman. I agree with you that it's worse for women. I think you're overstating how significant it is. And I think if you went through every woman on Australian TV, they would not all look the same, number one. They would not all be underweight or average weight. I can already think off the top of my head of women who wouldn't be considered conventionally attractive who are very, very successful in the Australian media industry. But you have to be astronomically talented in order to make it into that Mm. industry. If you don't fit that idol, you absolutely do. You absolutely do. Think of, and it's really hard, it's actually really hard now to have this conversation without dropping names because you're just going to sound like bitches. So we're we're really going to struggle to prove our points. But I think the amount of men in the public eye who are what we would consider conventionally average looking, a little bit overweight, but still with the kind of charisma that gets them through is so many more. Uh, there, there are so many more of them than there are women of the same caliber. I agree with you. I think you're being hyperbolic. I think there is a, I'm not. There is a I difference. I think you're being I think, apologetic to men. No, I think you're stating there's a difference <laughs> and there is a difference, but I think you are talking about the difference as if there's a chasm between the two. There and I don't is. think there, there is. is. I think I could name at least 10 women on Australian television who are some of the most successful women in Australian media and they definitely do not but fit I'm, the and script I think, of what I makes think an attractive woman. you're underestimating the fight it takes to get there compared to a man of the same standard. That's, that's all I'm saying. I think you still look at the Daily Mail and you still look at the scrutiny that women are put under in relation to men is that you'll find one story for every 50 story about women. So as much as I agree that this segment is about how men are suddenly being treated as women, I don't think the implications are as bad and I don't think that there is as much. All right, moving on just a little bit. I do want to talk <laughs> I do want to talk briefly. I'm sweating after that about 
Osher Gunsberg, he did get a bit of backlash for appearing on that men's health cover because he has battled uh, mental illness for many, many years, over a decade now. And he spoke about finally withdrawing from medication and really wanting to make sure that when he took himself off medication, that he was okay and that he had something supplementing his lifestyle to make sure that he had balance and that he had a way of controlling his depression and his anxiety and everything that comes with that. And I was a little bit disappointed in the commentary around that because he was on the cover of a magazine, he's not being a good supporter of men and that appearing on the cover of a magazine ripped and glowing that that suddenly like he's betraying every man who doesn't look like that. And I just think that's, that's a bit annoying to me. I think this body positivity culture is great and I love body positivity and I totally agree with everything that the body positivity message holds. But I think we sometimes take it too far in that we look back on anyone who is proud of their body, which might be ripped and might be fit and they might go to the gym all the time and love lifting weights. And we look at that and we go, you're not being an ally to your gender. I think that's really critical of one man who simply is happy in the skin that he's in. He is fitter than he's ever been. He says he's happier than he's ever been. And we're suddenly taking that from him and going, but you're not doing the right thing about your gender. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. As someone with mental illness, I suffer with anxiety. I would be the fittest that I am now because I exercise every single day to try and uh, combat different symptoms of my anxiety and different ways that my anxiety manifests every single day. Exercise is such a huge management tool and it's slightly annoying to see Osher's success in treating his mental health with exercise put down as, oh, well, now you're all about the aesthetics and that's not a good thing. No, and I see how this the optics of this are a little confusing for sure because I think if it was a woman who had done the same thing, I wonder... I mean, I think it's actually different if it was a woman that had done the same thing because when women pose on the cover of a magazine and have lost, what, all their baby weight, it actually is probably a little more damaging than if a man does just posing in his ripped body. I think that's a pretty fair statement. So I do agree with you and I am sort of of the pragmatic mindset that he argues that in doing this he wanted to find a way to be able to talk about mental health and veganism and he thought that this was the only avenue in which he was going to get a lot of airtime. And I kind of didn't mind that that line of thought I think it's a little too romantic of us to assume that you can get your really important message out just through traditional mediums and sometimes you have to compromise on a couple of things in order to do something that you think is more important Mm. Uh, I think it's just a little idealistic for us to assume that you can tick every single box at the one time so I do agree with you absolutely I think it's also a little bit idealistic to think that Osher Gunsberg is proud of his body but he shouldn't go on the cover of a magazine because that might make other guys who aren't as ripped feel bad I don't know. I just, I didn't, I didn't understand the commentary around him being in the wrong by doing this. Cause I thought his cover was great. I thought the accompanying article was great. I actually bought it to check it out. And I thought it was really interesting. And in Bit the Gunsberg crush. No, I just, I found the cover interesting cause I am so invested in mental health and exercise no, and diet. And I think there is such a strong, strong link there. Uh, the other thing that I'll bring into this conversation just quickly is I found it interesting that the honey badger is a good comparison to draw that the honey badger, every woman's focused publication ran with headlines in the past two weeks about the honey badger and his quest for love. Every male dominated publication ran with headlines about how he got his ripped physique mm. and what he eats and how much he trains every day. And I just think that's really 
curious that men are watching The Bachelor going, how does he look like that? Women are watching The Bachelor going, who does he pick? Which is a good point to make. But one point I want to make again is it's not laced with the same insecurity for men looking at him and saying, why don't I look like that? That's all I'm going to say. So I agree, but I still don't think it's damaging. I want to talk to you guys in this video. It's been so long. So much positive. That, dear listeners, is what the beauty community on YouTube sounded like this week after the fallings out of some of the industry's biggest stars mutated into a scandal about racism. Bear with us here because it's actually a very confusing one. (laughs) In the last month, in a documentary about his rise to fame and wealth, beauty entrepreneur Jeffree Star who has about 10 million subscribers on YouTube, gave an interview detailing his many feuds in the industry. In response, his ex-friends and colleagues, Laura Lee, Manny MUA and Nikita Dragon, can't be her real name, surely, posed in a Twitter photo giving him the finger with the caption that suggested Star was bitter because without him, they're doing better. Fellow beauty influencer Gabrielle Zamora, who posted the image in the first place but has never actually met Star himself, followed up with another tweet hinting at Star's racist history. Imagine standing a racist, he wrote. I could never. Then, well, Star's very loyal fans unleashed. Awful, years-old racist tweets from all parties involved were dug up and many apologies were made. The scandal has sparked many conversations about racism, about the beauty community, about tolerance and ignorance. And also, how much should we be held accountable for what we did in the past? Zara, how did you feel as it all unfolded? A little confused, first and foremost, because beauty YouTubers are not my bread and butter. So I They had, are mine. I had to learn who they all were. Although Jeffree Star was quite a familiar face, I must, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt really intrigued by this story, especially because every single person in this, in this story and in this narrative came out as so unlikable, it's not funny. Every single person. And... It just showed so much how much how much power a loyal fan base can have in just unleashing a wrath on yeah. somebody else. And that is quite terrifying. Mm. But for me, more than ever, it just showed how ignorant we can be and how racism, even though this, this, some of these tweets, and I just don't even think it's worth us reading some of them out because they're just a bit gross. But even if they are years old tweets we still have a long way to go in our attitudes to race especially when it comes from people in such from such privilege yeah and what unfolded over the past week or so was as vicious as it was vacuous there's no denying that some of these beauty influencers are the definition of narcissists and i don't think many people can get to that place in the industry i'm being a bit harsh here i can see your face kind of i'm laughing because all i've thought for the last few weeks and i've never wanted to say it on the podcast because it comes across too harsh but just this exasperated sense of like can we stop making stupid people famous Mm. because this punk this was punctuated through the entire story for me keep going because you called them narcissists and i think that's worse than me calling them stupid (laughs) yeah i think they are i I, well i think the beauty industry on youtube is filled with narcissists and this has been an evolving discussion for over a decade now about the beauty industry and the racism that thrives within it some of the biggest names have been called out for their lack of representation and awareness of colored people this year alone so i'll give you an example uh earlier in the year Tarte, which is a major makeup brand. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yes. Yes. You you have absolutely 
little, such little faith in me, okay. but I have heard of Tarte okay. with, with Tarte, an E on the end. Great. Tarte's Shape Tape Concealer is massive, right? That's been like a beauty cult buy for years and years and years. And so Tarte went, right, we're going to bring out the foundation version of this. And the foundation had about six shades, all for very white, very European-looking women. Nothing for Asian women, nothing for coloured women, nothing. The shade range was absolutely ridiculous. So when beauty influencers came out and gave this foundation a good review, the entire fan base would slam them for not being more aware that this foundation only offers you Mm. a colour. It doesn't offer any other type of woman a colour and you're not even woke enough, for lack of a better word, to actually recognise that this is excluding such a huge part of your own audience to look beyond your own experience is a pretty crazy thing that they couldn't do it reminds me as well when rihanna launched her um, fenty beauty fenty beauty line and how huge it was because it was so inclusive it had shades for just about every single skin tone on the planet and it was quite baffling to me how it was then that sort of beauty big beauty brands woke up and they were like shit we have been losing business for so many years because we've been so exclusive in in the foundation colors that we want to we want to sell probably because all the people making decisions are white whereas rihanna's come and made her makeup line from the perspective of a black woman and she's thought no one actually speaks to me as a consumer and it was only money that at the end of the day has woken up a lot of people not public shaming but but money but money yeah and credit where credit's due kylie cosmetics is actually very good as well at giving a uh, big shade range and really thinking of colored women when they make products but this the reason we gave that context is because this has been brewing all year it has definitely reached a climax now but it has been brewing for a very long time and what has happened was i think we need to give a bit of context here as well about jeffree star so he has jeffree star cosmetics which is a major cosmetic label he makes millions and millions and millions of dollars probably a week from this label and from his lipsticks and his new eyeshadow palette and the like He has a history of saying racist things. So back in the day, probably 10 years ago when he was a musician, there were videos that came out about him on MySpace where he was using the N-word in a derogatory sense to people on the street, where he was just speaking really poorly and he had this character that he used to portray, which was quite racist. So... He's been getting a lot of backlash for years over his racist past and he's had to do a lot to undo that and unravel that and educate himself as to why that's not okay. The interesting comparison here is that all these other beauty influencers distance themselves from Star as if they've never said a bad word and how dare he come out and be so racist and how can people still look at him in a good light when these things happened 10 years ago. So we're not going to repeat Laura Lee's terrible disgusting tweets here but it does raise a really interesting conversation about how much are you in 2018 responsible for the stuff that you said in your past and the stuff that is now archived on the internet forever I've been thinking about this a lot this week because I think as well as a a huge conversation about race that's come out of this it has been a conversation about how much we actually should be held accountable for our past selves I think public shaming in this sense, and public shaming, to be honest, is always very fierce. I have said for a long time that I've felt that anything anyone does in the public eye when they trip over, the punishment very rarely fits the crime. The the public shaming is so much more fierce than perhaps the mistake that they that was relative to the mistake that they made. So that has troubled me for a long time. The vicious in in this case in particular, the viciousness of our response, and I say our quite you know, inclusively, you know, for fans as well, does not to me mean we shouldn't hold people accountable for their actions. Unfortunately, that's just a byproduct of 
of their mistake. And I think we should actually hold every single person to account for anything that they've ever said. And I know that sounds a little harsh and maybe tough for a lot of people because a lot of people change and evolve and we change our minds about things and our ideas about things change and we get more educated but we're fully responsible for the people we are I think we're fully responsible for the people we were and we are fully responsible for the people that we intend to be that's the short version I think the long version is while we should hold people to account we should accept an apology from someone if it's quite genuine. Mm. So if you come out and you're exposed, Michelle, for something that you said years ago, I think we should absolutely hold you to account about that. I think the public should be talking about it. But if you come back and say, look, I'm an idiot. This is what I've learned since then. This is what my, my, my comments did. This is how they made them feel. And this is what I intend to do to change. I think that's where we need to stop and say, okay, good, you're done. Let's move on. And I think they did do that with Gabrielle Zamora. So he came out and gave a very heartfelt apology to Jeffree Star. Not only that, he actually educated his followers in his video. It was 40 minutes long and I watched the entire thing. And he spoke a lot about why the N-word doesn't belong to everybody. And I think that's a really important and wonderful thing for him to do because I actually see this whole situation in a really positive light. If you think about how many young people and the majority of the audience of these beauty influencers would be teenagers, how educated these people are going to be, these really young people coming through uh, schools and universities now who can look at all this happening and go, my idol is speaking to me about really important issues and I now understand why I shouldn't use this word or just because the n-word is in a song why it doesn't belong to me to use it and Gabrielle linked to a really important video which we'll put in the show notes uh, which was by a scholar I guess explaining why the n-word doesn't belong to everyone and why every word doesn't belong to every person and I think a good parallel is in the way, same way slut is not everyone's word, mm. that sometimes that can be, the word slut can be used amicably amongst women and it can be used to empower women amongst women. It's a very different thing when a man then sees you on the street and calls you a slut. It's seen quite in a derogatory sense, of course. So in the same way, one word can mean one thing to a group of people that doesn't make that word open season for everyone who wants to use it because context is everything and a white person using the n-word is filled with history and hundreds and hundreds of years of denigration and marginalization and racism and so for these beauty youtubers to recognize that the n-word is not their word is good and for them to be making videos about it that are getting millions of views is a good thing yeah good apologies like i said if it's a good apology that you know acknowledges what was wrong and and what needs to change that is good when you look at someone like laura lee's apology that was dismal that actually get through it fills me with rage laura lee for those who haven't watched it i would recommend going to check this out because this is how not to respond to a pr crisis she released an apology video of herself it was five minutes long it was her bawling into the camera and it was all about her There was nothing about what she did and why it was wrong. There was nothing about how she's changed. All it was is it hurts me so bad. I'm feeling so sad. This is so bad. All this, this is how my family has been affected. This is how my last few weeks has been affected. It was all about her. Her tears looked fake, which is besides the point, but it just looked like an absolute circus. And it exacerbated the situation for her so much. She has lost at last count since this all went down. I think it was 400 
and 38,000 followers after this mess. Which I think says a lot because when, when I said before we should be holding everybody to account for them pa- the, their past selves, like that's just the brutal truth. In terms of Gabriel Zamora, he, he was held to account, but I, he hasn't lost nearly as many followers. He's as gained some, followers. As much as, as Laura Lee. No, and I think that yeah. says a lot in how we respond to these things is how we move the conversation forward. Laura Lee's apology was the most white apology ever because it clearly didn't understand what her words did. She didn't acknowledge who it hurt, how it might have hurt them, and all it did was focus inward. Well, the whole thing was navel-gazing. She could not put herself in anyone else's shoes in that situation and realise how her tweet, which in my opinion was the worst tweet out of them all, was was disgusting and disgraceful. Not only that, if you're going to own it, like Gabrielle Zamora said in his video, if you're going to be shady or if you're going to do something that's terrible own it don't half own it so for laura lee to come out in that video and say i retweeted something that was racist incorrect she wrote that tweet she didn't retweet anything that's already saying oh i'm sorry but it wasn't that bad i only retweeted it which was just a complete another lie and ruined her entire argument um i do want to pull in another example of racism in the beauty community here that people might not actually realize so this excuse of being dumb and being ignorant is no longer enough of an excuse so in december 2015 you might remember zara australian beauty influencer shani grimmond who we spoke about last week in our plastic surgery segment vlogged with a nazi flag in her background were you across this when it happened no i wasn't okay so she was running around an apartment with her brother and in one of her snapchat videos in the background there was a nazi flag hanging from the ceiling basically to the kitchen bench this obviously sparked fury amongst her followers and it led to massive brands on instagram dropping her for the next year or so and her excuse was I didn't 100% know the meaning of this flag which she said in her apology video which isn't enough it's not enough not to know what the Nazi flag means and it's not enough to be that ignorant and that event it might be almost three years ago now but that's probably something people still think about that either she or her brother associate with people who have Nazi flags in their house. And I'm not going to pass judgment on Shani because she says she doesn't know the person and she was just in their apartment. But clearly there's some, there's some type of seven degrees of separation there if you're in an apartment that has a Two, Nazi well, supporter in it. one degree of separation. I wish this podcast could see my face because during that entire segment, my eyes were just bulging from did my... Did you have no idea about no, that I story? Didn't know that. That did, um, if that was an American influencer, that would have had a lot more... Uh, fire to it whereas because it happened in Australia I feel like she was insulated a bit I mean I know we talk about this all the time and I know I we run the risk of sounding like a broken record but the lack of accountability the the absolute ignorance and arrogance from so many influencers who have been uh given a platform that is so insular actually blows my mind and infuriates me I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I hear that story I actually don't because you cannot plead ignorance you absolutely cannot or if you do you have to accept that huge public fury and losing a lot of contracts is is gonna happen anyway what I did want to pull into this as well because I think for a lot of when we talk about racism and I think the average person uh, particularly listening to this kind of podcast would would pretty confidently say well I'm a pretty open-minded progressive person who accepts everybody for who they are and I don't care I think the bottom line is I think we have a lot of unconscious bias still lodged within us which is 
society's fault, but it's our responsibility to recognise. And there was a great tweet that was actually not about this story from an Australian writer called Ruby Hamad, who does a lot of writing about feminism and about race and things like that. And she said something that I think is is quite important for a lot of people to, to read. And she said, white people, please take this on board. You are not automatically a bad person if you absorb the messages society drums into you, but you once you recognise it, you are duty bound to challenge it. So it's like you cannot, it's okay for us to say, well, I've accidentally t- taken on the wrong message my entire life. It's like when we were younger and it, and it horrifies me how pervasive the use of the word gay was in really terrible contexts. And none of us knew what we were doing and it makes me really embarrassed about how that word was used now. But that's okay as long as the minute we recognise that that's wrong, we actually are duty bound to change it and to talk to people about it, which is exactly what Gabrielle Zamora probably did. It's not what Laura Lee did, and I think that's why people are still angry about this story. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 25. Before we do go, we say this every week, but I think we say it because we mean it. We are a tiny little independent podcast. We It's just Mish and I here doing everything, which we love doing, but if you do love Shameless... Is that how we say it? Shameless? Shameless. Shameless. And you want to help us grow. You can do a couple of things. We have been so enjoying how many of you have been sharing, listening on Instagram. It's good to know that real life humans are listening to this <laughs> podcast and not just my mum. The second you can do is click subscribe on Apple Podcasts. As soon as you click subscribe, it basically moves up of the charts. So anyone who does that is a VIP in our eyes. We cannot tell you how much reviews and subscribes help us out. We so, so, so appreciate it. Apart from that, please tell a friend. Invite them to the Facebook group. We'll be really transparent with you guys. There are media companies who will eventually have celebrity podcasts that compete with our own. And to compete or to even try and hold on to what we've got, we really need you guys to rally behind us, which you do every week. And we cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. You guys are the best listeners in the entire world. Not hyperbolic there at all. Just a little bit because you're the only listeners we have. (laughs) But thank you so much again. We will see you next week like we said find us on facebook or instagram and we'll be there for episode 26 bye guys bye hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time we're so grateful if you enjoy the stuff that we produce may i recommend our brand new podcast style ish Stylish, if you want to say it quickly, style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.